wears woolies. And I'm like, that's not reading. He's like, but it's good for my eyes. <laughs> um, the thing that I love about Where's Wally is that um, I like him because he actually stands out. Although I know you have to look quite carefully and that's the whole point. Um, but is, uh, is it working? It might not be working. You all know what um, Where's Wally's like. Um, but there is also some pictures um, in one of Nat's Where's Wally's book where everyone is dressed up like Where's Wally. I don't know if you can imagine that. And so he's much, much harder to spot. There is still only one Where's Wally in the right pose, but everyone has the same hat and the same jumper and the same trousers. So um, I'm just, if you could just imagine those kind of two pictures, one of the normal Where's Wally where he's hidden, but yet he stands out. Because when you found him, you know exactly where he is. Um, and the picture of a page full of Where's Wally lookalikes. What sort of... That, <laughs> This is where I am such an external person. I was about to say, what sort of Wally are you? <laughs> um, but I realized that could be offensive. I'm really sorry. Uh, in America, I think they call him Waldo, don't they? So what sort of Waldo are you? Are you the sort of person, let's go with that, who likes to stand out, who likes to um, be different, is happy to, to stand out from the crowd? Or are you the sort of person that likes to blend in? Like, So if you are going somewhere like... Um, a Where's Wally convention. You will wear all of the same clothes as Where's Wally, so you might blend in. Just have a think about that. Do you like to stand out or do you like to blend in? And it might be for you that it depends on the environment. It depends on the context within which you find yourself. In some, where you feel safe, you're happy to stand out. In others, you'd much rather just blend in. Last week, we kicked off a series called Do Different, looking at what things we can do as followers of Jesus that are different from the rest of society and culture. And it might be that um, even that, top, that title kind of brings up a little bit, maybe butterflies in the stomach. Maybe you feel slightly anxious at that thought of being different, of standing out from the crowd. Or maybe you can just take it all in your stride and you're more than happy to stand out and be different. And when someone asks you a question of why you're not doing something like everybody else, you're more than happy to give an answer for that. I wonder, I asked this question last week, I wonder how different our life looks January 2023 to January 2022. Do we look more like Jesus? Or do you live your years on repeat? Changing tack slightly, a question for you. What do you like to make or do? And why do you like to make or do? I heard a story last night of someone who, um, she loves baking. And she bakes a cake at least once a week and she puts it on Facebook. And she says, anyone want this cake? And anybody that sees it on Facebook, the first person she direct messages them, gives them their address, and she go, they go and pick it up. And for her, that's an opportunity for her to share her faith with them. I was like, isn't that amazing? I mean, I don't think I could do that because my cakes wouldn't look quite as good. People might see it on Facebook and think, oh, no thanks. Um, but I love that. For her, baking cakes is the thing that she loves to do, and she does it because it's a connection point with people to have conversations. What is it that you love doing or making? And why do you love it? I do love being creative. 
Um, if, if I make time for it, I love getting my sewing machine out, some scraps of material. Uh, we made Christmas bunting just before Christmas. I know it's slightly seasonal, but... Um, I, and I do actually quite like baking. Um, I like baking biscuits and like cookies and I have to kind of rein it in because I then just want to eat them all. Um, but the other thing I really love doing is talking to people. For those of you that know me, know that I love a conversation. I love to talk to people. And I love encouraging people to meet with Jesus, to find out what Jesus is doing in their lives. And I, I love doing these different things, like the creative stuff. I love doing it and I make time to do it. And partly because I love the re seeing the reaction of people, of seeing the reaction of friends and family when they see something I've made or they taste something that I have created. Um, but I also love seeing people try something for the first time that maybe I've been involved in a conversation that has encouraged them to do it. For me, say, for example, as the creator of Christmassy biscuits, um, I get real pleasure from other people enjoying what I have created. And we, created in God's image, are a little bit of God here on earth. And that's how he feels. He, as the creator, loves it when he sees his creation being appreciated and enjoyed or being his, his creation being um, used for the purpose with which he created it. In Revelation 4.11, uh, it says this, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. That's the New Living Translation. The Bible tells us that God created us for his pleasure. <clears throat> he created what he pleased. You have been created because God chose to create you. You are special because God chose you. You please God by being here on earth and living your life. There was a plan that each and every one of us would exist. There was no mistake in our creation. We don't exist by chance. We weren't made as a random act. We exist and are here because we please God. And just like we don't bake a cake for it never to be eaten, we don't create an item of clothing for it never to be worn, we don't write a story for it never to be read, we don't paint a picture to hide it away and never be admired. And so we need, as God's creation, to fulfill the purpose for which we have been created. And the Bible calls that worship. Bringing pleasure to God by doing the things that we have been created to do is what the Bible calls worship. I love that phrase. Bringing pleasure to God by doing what we have been created to do is worship. So, what have you been created to do? We talk about coming together on a Sunday and worshipping. We have just had half an hour or so of sung worship. And we, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, and we worship in our small groups. We worship in our leaders' meetings. We worship in our training context. We worship wherever we gather. We are, we are the vineyard 
and it's one of our highest priorities. We love it, we value it, and we always make space for it. But singing to God is just one way of worshipping him. You being you, you being who God has created you to be and doing what he has created you to do brings pleasure to God and that is part of our worship to him. Worship is our response for our very existence. Our response to our own existence is worship. We just have to ensure that we worship God and not any other idol that is uh, around us. Most idols are so subtle, we don't even notice it. So as we think about this theme of doing differently, perhaps, this sh- perhaps you've got quite a narrow view of what worship is. And maybe the beginning this morning, God wants to expand your view of how you can worship him. Perhaps worshiping God is a new thing to you, and you're just beginning that journey. You know, we worship anything that we give our attention, time, energy, and money to. And if we say yes to Jesus, to surrender our life to him, that means we need to give him our time, attention, energy, and money. That is worship. It might be that God wants to uh, expand your um, grasp of, of sung worship even. It might be that uh, you're, if you've been coming here for a while, you're getting braver in singing. It might be that you don't really like singing but you like being in this community of people, and so you tolerate it. But we can all worship God by being who he has created us to be. There's a guy called Gary Chapman who's written a number of books. He, if you've ever heard of The Five Love Languages, he's the author of, of that book. But he's also come up with, he must like this as a bit of a theme, he had came up with The Five Love Languages. He's also come up with The Nine Ways to Worship. So... Um, I thought we'd have a quick look at them this morning just to, um, to give it. If you're, if you're unsure of how you love, to, how, like what you're created to do and how you can worship God with your whole lives, then this might give you a little bit of a glimpse. It might be that um, out of the nine, you're one or two. Um, every time I read them, I go, oh, yeah, I'm that, and I'm that, and I'm that. And then I read them again and go, oh, no, I'm that, and I'm that, and I'm that. So I don't think there's any fixed, fixed way. It might be that for some of you, you are, and I'm just a little bit all over the place. Um, So I'll read them to you. Number one is a naturalist, not a naturist. A naturalist. Um, And it might be that you are inspired by being outdoors. You love being out in creation in mountains, by streams, by the sea, um, looking at sunsets. Um, The natural world that God has created, that brings your heart alive. It might be that you are more of a sensate, so you love using your senses in worship. Um, you might love um, and feel close to God when you're um, touching something, holding something, or tasting something. Um, or lo- you love the smell, certain smells um, that brings you close to God and it helps you worship him. It could be that you're a traditionalist. So you, um, you draw close to God more in traditional ways, maybe by um, reciting the, Lord, um, the Lord's Prayer or sharing the Lord's Supper together doing something, a symbolic act that is meaningful to you. It could be that you are more of an aesthetic. Aesthetic, I think that's how you say it. Um, You meet with God by withdrawing from people. 
you, you um, love silence and solitude. Now, don't get me wrong. I love silence and solitude, um, but I also love people. Um, but I know that even as a raving extrovert, this is something that I really love. Being on my own, uh, I've got a chair. Sitting in my chair is somewhere where I always sense the presence of God. It could be that you're an activist. You're someone who loves doing practical things. Um, maybe you're on the team at Grow Baby and you're happy to just keep washing, keep washing those donations, folding, ironing, uh, and then serving the people that come along. Or it could be that you're someone who um, writes to your MP to, to make action happen, to make, see things change. It could be that you are a caregiver and actually you know that you feel closest to God when you're looking after other people. It might be you're the first person to offer to cook a meal for someone who is struggling. For you, you might have that deep sense of calling that as you serve others, it's part of your worship. The seventh category that Gary Chapman came up with is an enthusiast. Someone who loves sung worship, who loves celebration services. We engage in prayer and worship meetings through singing, through being together in a, in a kind of corporate space to worship God in song. Or perhaps you have uh, more a completative uh, edge to yourself, that you, you love things throughout the day to draw your attention back to God, maybe the daily office or um, reminders on your phone at certain times to pray. To help you, practices that help you uh, recall and, and remind you of God throughout the day. And then finally, maybe you're an intellectual. You love God and you worship him by learning more, more about the Bible, uh, more about who he is. Uh, and when you're reading a, 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 a Christian book, you feel closer to God, learning something new about who he is and the way he works. So these nine different ways, as I hinted at earlier, you can be more than one, and I think that they can change. But just take a moment to think, did one or two of those, or three, resonate with you? Which of those do you think, um, do you f that those categories do you fall into? And as maybe you think about which one resonated with you most or which two or three, um, what has worship looked like for you up until this point? And maybe how might worship look going forward from today? It might be that as you just reflect slightly, you think, well, worship for me has really been half an hour on a Sunday morning whenever I come to church. And don't get me wrong, that's great. Like, hear me when I say this, I think it's vital for our souls to gather corporately to worship God together. And we, like it says in Hebrews, do not give up meeting together. You know, we need to come to be in community to express our worship to God for the sake of our own souls and the sake of our community. But our worship of God is not limited to gathering together on a Sunday morning and singing. 
Perhaps you know that you worship God most when you're walking by the river or you're running up a mountain or you're watching a sunset from your kitchen window. Maybe you know you worship God most when you are retreating in silence and solitude or when you are reading a good book. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. God created us to bring him pleasure. He is worthy of our glory, honor, and praise. So how, moving forward from this moment in time, 11 o'clock on Sunday the 15th of January 2023, how is your worship going to look this coming year? Maybe how you've done, you've worshipped up to this point is absolutely spot on and you are going to continue and do more of the same. Or maybe God is challenging you this morning to do something different, to set aside more time, to, to go for a walk more regularly in the countryside, to retreat and have silence and solitude, to put some prayer reminders in your phone so that throughout the day, your day is punctuated by drawing your attention back to God. And when I talk about worship like this, I'm also kind of hinting at, although I'm not going to talk about it at all because there's not enough time, about, about praying. I think prayer and worship go hand in hand. You know, out of our worship will spring prayer. Out of our prayer will spring worship. They are tied together. So as you think about what this year will look like, what will you do differently? How will your prayer life change? You know, prayer is giving our attention to God in a two-way spiritual relationship where we talk and we listen to him. How is that going for you already in the first 15 days of this year? Or how is that going for you already just in the last 24 hours or even the last two hours? You know, we can pray as a, in a state of emergency we can have regular things that we go to God with, with a list of people or things that we're specifically praying for. It might be back in, back in November, if those of you that were here, I, I challenged everybody to pray for one person to come to know Jesus. Are you still praying for that person? You know, our prayer lives will look different at different stages and ages, at different times of the day. But my, my prayer is that out of our prayer and our worship springs more prayer and more worship. If you are an intellectual and you love to study and read a good book, um, I said I wasn't going to talk about prayer much, just two things. Um, on sabbatical last year, I read two books. Oh, I read lots of books, actually, which I'm quite proud of. <laughs> um, but two of the books that I read were called A Praying Life by Paul Miller and Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. And if you love a good book and you want to read more about prayer, I would absolutely recommend those to you, um, particularly A Praying Life by Paul, Harrison, Paul Miller, I think. Um, he, I, I now regularly pray scripture but specifically over specific people and myself and situations in a way that I didn't before. He opened my eyes to, um, yeah, to some extra dimensions that I'd not really thought of. 
uh, and memorizing scripture afresh, which I did as a child because you've got a sticker at Sunday school. Um, and I have neglected that, that kind of spiritual practice. And so it's something that I am pressing into. You know, particularly in, for me in moments of high stress and high emotion, um, not just me, but just in life general, I am recalling scripture that I've memorized and I am praying that over situations. So thinking specifically about prayer and worship, you know, our communication to and from God, worship, giving God all of our glory, all of the glory, honor and power and praise that is due his name. How will your worship and prayer look different this coming year? And there's every possibility that if we're prepared to press into this, I would say every possibility, I think it's a guaranteed, if we're prepared to press into worship and prayer, then people around us will notice a difference. And people will want to know the, the, the root of the transformation that they see in us. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we look like him, the more that other people will notice a difference. We want to be a people who worship God with our whole lives, with our whole beings. And that boils down to doing and being exactly who he has created us to be. We're going to pray. So why don't you stand? Going As we were worshipping in that last song, Room at the Table, I had a picture play out of a meal and Jesus was sitting at a table and there was a seat for you, but you were reluctant to sit on it. Maybe you felt like you couldn't approach the table or you'd missed your opportunity. And Jesus was beckoning you to say, come and sit at the table with me. Lord, if that speaks specifically to anybody in the room, I just ask that you would, uh, yeah, you would hold their heart right now. You would hold their hand and draw them to the table. That they would come and feast with you.